0: The scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and the text that we're going to be looking at is the Song of Zechariah, and that starts in verse 68, but we're going to start reading in verse 57 and hear the story of the birth of John the Baptist. It's on page 1,589 of the Bibles in your pews. And we saw this a little bit in the litany, but I also want to remind you of the story of the annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah in the temple. At the beginning, the very beginning, the very first story in the Gospel of Luke is the story of Zechariah, who's a priest. And Zechariah, it's his turn to serve in the temple in Jerusalem and all he, he's performing this ceremony, which is a really important ceremony in the life of a priest. It's probably something he would have only gotten to do once. Um, he goes into the temple while the people of Israel are gathered outside the temple praying. Zechariah goes into the temple and offers incense to God. And the incense that he burns sim, is a symbol of the prayers of the people of Israel rising up before God. And while he's performing this very important ritual, while the eyes of all of Israel are on him, the angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him that in their old age, he and his wife Elizabeth, who was barren, will have a son and that that son will be named John and that he will be a prophet of God and that he will be great among his people and that he will turn the Israelites back to their Lord. And Zechariah's response is how can I know that? He's a priest in the temple of God and an angel appears to him and tells him that he's going to have a son. And he's not quite sure he can believe that. And so the angel Gabriel puts a curse on Zechariah that he can't speak until his son is born. And that's where we turn to for our story this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to figure out what he would like to name the child, because the word of his mother isn't good enough, I suppose. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of our Lord for us this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Please join me in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for the promises that you give us in your word, and we thank you for the light that you bring into our lives through the reading of these promises and through our seeing them fulfilled in history and in our own lives. Lord, we pray that you will fill us with the spirit that filled Zechariah and that filled John the Baptist, that we will know that your promises are sure and true, and that we will serve you without fear, in righteousness, and in holiness for all of our days. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, today is the last Sunday in the season of Advent, the season of the year when we take time to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. As I mentioned in the sermon a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned this, I don't quite remember, but Advent is one of my favorite seasons of the church year because of the way that it brings together the past, the present, and the future of God's work. We, during the season of Advent, we enter into the story of Israel in the Old Testament as Israel waits for the coming Messiah. And as we enter into that story and look forward to the birth of Christ on December 25, an event which happened in the past, we're also reminded that we also are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, at the resurrection of the dead, to establish his kingdom over all the earth. We enter into the story of Israel waiting for the Messiah to come, And we remember the story of Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem all those many years ago, and we remember how that truth plays out in our own lives today, in our lives through the work of the Spirit and through our church and in our world. And we also look forward to the future, when Jesus will come in glory on the clouds and establish his kingdom, past, present, and future. Christ's birth, Christ's work in our lives, and Christ's coming again. Past, present, and future all come together in a very unique way in this season. Israel, church, and kingdom all find their focus in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the God who became man, the Son of God. Israel, church, and kingdom all looking forward or looking back or looking ahead to the day that the Messiah comes to save his people. And to explore these themes, we've been looking at what we're calling the Songs of Christmas to help us understand this story a bit more. We've looked at two poetic sections of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And so three weeks ago, we read from Isaiah 11, where Isaiah prophesies that uh, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And this symbolizes the coming of the Messiah in fulfillment of God's promise to David in the book of 2 Samuel, that he would have a, that he would have a descendant who would reign forever, whose, whose kingdom would be established forever. And then on the second Sunday of Advent, we read from Isaiah 40, which we called the Song of Exile, because it's a song that captures the frustration and the anger and the sadness of the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. You might remember that God tells Isaiah to cry out and Isaiah responds, what shall I cry? And God tells Isaiah to proclaim from the mountaintops to the people of Israel, here is your God. The message that God gives to the exiled people is that God is coming back for them. That God is coming for them. That that God is powerful enough to fulfill his promises and that God is faithful to his people and will fulfill his promises And that's the Song of Exile that we looked at two weeks ago. And then last week, for the third Sunday of Advent, we moved into the New Testament. And we looked at the Song of Mary, which comes before the Song of Zechariah here in Luke chapter 1. We looked at the Song of Mary, the Mother of God, after she's told by the angel Gabriel that she will give birth to the Son of God, even though she's a virgin after her cousin Elizabeth calls her blessed among women, after John the Baptist leaps for joy in his mother's womb at the presence of Christ. And Mary's song testifies to the faithfulness of God in her own life and towards the people of Israel through her. Mary remembers in her song how God cares especially for the poor and the humble and rejoices that God has granted her such a profound grace that she has been chosen to bring the Son of God into the world. So that's, that's where we've been so far. And then today, we sang and we read the song of Zechariah. And I think the song of Zechariah is a perfect one for the last Sunday of Advent. The last Sunday before Christmas. Because it does exactly what the season of Advent is supposed to do. It praises God for the work that he has done, is doing, is doing. And will do. And that's exactly what we're doing during the season of Advent. Looking at the work of God. Past, present, and future. Israel, church, and kingdom. All coming together in the person of Jesus. When we look at the song of Zechariah, one of the things that I noticed when I was reading through it. Was that there's these three promises of God in the song of Zechariah. A promise to David a promise to Abraham, and a promise to Zechariah. And the point of this song of Zechariah's is that God fulfills these promises in the persons of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. The whole song of Zechariah emphasizes the continuity of God's work throughout history, that God is working out his plan past present, and future, that it's all part of one big master plan. Zechariah recognizes this and his song reflects it. And all throughout his song, there's these references to other parts of the Bible, to the Psalms and to the prophets and to the historical books. Zechariah starts out by praising God for visiting his people, "'Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel.'" This is how Psalm 41 ends, the psalm that we read this morning as the call to worship. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. This is the same thing that David says in 1 Kings 1 verse 48 when his son Solomon is crowned king over Israel. And so so what Zechariah is doing by starting off his song with this line is that he's connecting the birth of John and the birth of Jesus to the crowning of the king of Israel. That these births have something important to do with kingship for the Israelite people. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And there's so much here. God has come to redeem his people, just like he, w- he promised he would in Isaiah chapter 40. Say to the people of Israel, here is your God. God has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David, just like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from its roots a branch will bear fruit. These are the words spoken by the holy prophets of old, demonstrating that God's word is one, past present, and future. It's all part of one big plan. And then we move into the second promise, the promise to Abraham. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, God swore an oath to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah goes back even farther In the history of God's people, moving from David all the way back to Abraham to root God's work firmly in the covenant relationship that he makes with his people. Jesus and John the Baptist fulfill the covenant promises that God made to a people who had been set apart for God's blessing and God's service. They had been set apart as God's special possession for his service. And that's exactly what Zechariah proclaims in response to these promises being fulfilled. That by rescuing us, God enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And remember that Zechariah is a priest. So when Zechariah talks about, about service, he's talking about worship. He's talking about the service of a kingdom of priests, the liturgical duty of God's people. And a kingdom of priests, that's how God's people are described in Deuteronomy and then again in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. A kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood, that's what God's people are called to be. God doesn't want his worship assigned to a professional class. So we, in our tradition, we don't hire pastors to worship for us. We don't hire pastors to worship so that we don't have to. We hire pastors to lead us together as God's people. In the worship of God, as we worship Him together, as we give Him our service. We hire pastors to lead us together as God's people in serving Him through our worship and through our lives. And then we get to the third part of the song, which is my favorite part. The tone sort of shifts in this part. Up up until now, Zechariah has been proclaiming the promises of God found throughout the Old Testament, demonstrating that God has kept his word and has come to his people, but now he turns to his newborn son. He turns to his newborn baby boy who he has named John, holds him in his arms, and he says to him, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Zechariah makes a turn from talking about the promises of God to his people in the Old Testament, through people like David and Abraham, he makes a turn to talking about God's promises to him, earlier in the Gospel of Luke. That even though he was old and his wife Elizabeth was old and barren, that they would have a son. And that that son would go before the Lord to prepare the way for him in the power of Elijah to turn God's people back to the Lord. And even though the stuff that Isaiah says here is just as awesome, just as powerful, just as historical as the stuff that happens that he says earlier in the song, whenever I read it, I imagine his voice sort of changing here. Up until now, I imagine him praising God with a loud and joyful voice, but here I imagine his voice becoming very tender, maybe trembling a little bit as the old man tries to hold back his tears. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Even the language is more tender. Can can you see it? Can you hear it? My child, forgiveness, tender mercy, language of light shining in the darkness of the face of the shadow of death, guidance, peace, peace. Zechariah's joy at the birth of his son John and his anticipation of the birth of the Messiah Jesus is real, it's real without a doubt but there's also a hint of sadness I think remember that Elizabeth and Zechariah are old the NIV says that they're well along in years I kind of like the King James version where it says that they are well stricken in years well stricken in years Zechariah is joyful at the birth of his son. He's joyful at the coming of the Messiah. But he knows that at the same time that these promises won't be fulfilled in his lifetime. Zechariah is old. Zechariah walks through the valley of the shadow of death and he knows this. But the darkness of the shadow doesn't blind him from seeing the light that God has shed into the world not only in his promises in ages past, but also in his own life, in Zechariah's own life, through his son and the son of Mary. The closer we get to Christmas, the higher our anticipation becomes. We become more joyful, but we also become more aware of the shadow of death that covers our lives. Even though we celebrate the birth of the light of the world, The rising sun of righteousness. As we go through this Christmas season, for many people, the darkness becomes more clear than any other time of year. For many of you, this is your first Christmas celebrating without a loved one who has died over the past year. And that makes the shadow of death very clear. For others, the holiday season brings into sharp relief the brokenness and dysfunction of our families, and that's a sort of darkness. As you sit around the table at the holiday gathering, you don't just see the people who are there, but you also see the people who aren't there, and your heart cries out for them. For some, the next few weeks will be a time of incredible loneliness, a loneliness that they will hide in the depths of their soul because they're afraid to tell anybody about it. The darkness of the shadow of death is real. But so is the light of the rising sun. Zechariah recognizes this and we can see it in our lives too. We can see how God is moving throughout history because he's revealed it to us in his word. And so we know that our sins are forgiven and that death has been defeated. And that we're filled with the spirit of God and that we're able to live holy lives in his service. And bring our prayers to him and our praises we know these things from God's word, but we also know them because of his work in our lives, just like Zechariah knew it not only from God's word, but also because of God's work in his own life. We can see it in our lives because the spirit opens our eyes to where God's moving today in our world, in our city, in our church, in our lives. And so that's how I wanted to end. Like Zechariah, it's important as we bring to a close this season of waiting for God that we recognize not only what God's done and what God will do, but what he is doing now in our lives, in our world, in our time and there are a lot of exciting things happening. I see the, the conversations that are happening between Christians of all denominations, between Orthodox and Catholic, Catholic and Reformed, Reformed and Lutheran, and Anglican and Protestant and, and Mennonite and Presbyterian and Baptist and Pentecostal. And it seems to me that there's this new spirit of unity that's moving through the church that we haven't seen for ages. And that's something exciting. That's a place where we can see God at work. I see the youth of our church in the conversations that I have with them in the way that they're involved in our church. And I see God working in them in powerful ways. And that's something exciting to me because when people say where are the youth, we at Community Christian Reformed Church can say they're here. They're here. They're a part of our church. They're, they're participating. They're in worship. They're in technical. They're, they're in leadership. And that's an exciting thing. There's a lot of excitement and hope there. And that's a place where we can see God working. Another thing that I see and that I've heard a lot of people mention is that there's this whole generation of kids who grew up in this church who are now stepping in to roles in leadership themselves. Stepping into roles in leadership as worship leaders and as program directors and as youth leaders And that's an exciting thing, to see the grace of God working its way down from generation to generation, one generation to the next. We know that Jesus' promises are sure. We know that Jesus is coming again. We know it because we can see it. We can believe it because God is working in our lives, in our world, in our time. And this gives us hope in a world that can be very dark. This strengthens our faith in a world that can be full of sin and evil because we can see the light of righteousness. We can see the rising sun, the Son of God, at work in this world, even today. And so like Zechariah, we can praise his name because of the great things that God has done and that he will do and that he's doing even now. In our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. O oh Lord, our King and our God, we thank you and we praise you for the wonderful ways in which you're work, you are working in this world. We thank you for the things that you have done for your people throughout history. And we thank you that you are coming again. But we thank you especially as we enter this time of Christmas, the season of the holidays, the holy days. We thank you that you are working in our lives even now, that we can see your spirit moving, that we can see you at work. We pray that this same spirit would come and live inside of us and would fill us with the knowledge and the certainty that you are coming again that your promises are sure and that we can live holy lives in your presence in response to your grace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ who forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Amen.